We are continuing today with our study of Romans 12 called Against the Flow. For those of you who are new here today, my name is Valdir da Silva, Pastor Valdir. Glad to have you guys with us. Good to see our good old friends. Hey, good to see you, Sally. Amen. And everyone else, good to have you this morning in the house of the Lord. And um, we are continuing our series. We've been the whole of, of this month. We have been studying on Romans 12. If you read this chapter, you realize that everything this chapter says goes against the flow of what society says, what the world says, what we're used to in the thinking systems of this world. In part one, we looked at the first two verses of Roman. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice and do not be conformed or shaped by the ideas of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, renewing your thinking in accordance with the word of God. In part two, we looked at the fact that uh, we are all gifted individually. In Romans 12, we find a list of seven motivational gifts. And we each have a unique mix of those seven motivational gifts, which make us who we are and, and motivates us to behave and react the way we do. And we need to know ourselves and be ourselves. Too many people are trying to be somebody else. You know, I, I see that guy, I see that girl, I want to be like them, I don't like me. And meantime, somebody else is looking at you and maybe thinking the same thing. Because very often, our gifts, our natural gifting comes so naturally to us that we don't recognize it. But we see the gifts in other people's lives. And so we are called by God not to think too much of ourselves, not too little of ourselves, but to have a healthy appraisal of ourselves and be the person that God created us to be. Know your strengths, know your shortcomings, know the grace of God in you. Then uh, last week we had Youth Fest, but the message that came out last Sunday was still based on Romans 12 and, and fitted nicely into our series. The teaching was dare to be different and the message was in line with our series because you know, uh, to dare to be different <laughs> means you gotta go against the flow. You can't be different without going against the flow of everything else. And it's true that God is calling us, daring us to be different. We heard about the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we learned that he dared to be different. He dared to go against the flow. He made a choice. He made a decision. He stood up for what he believed and he lived fearlessly. And we learned that to live fearlessly does not mean to have no fear. We all have fear. We all are fearful at times in our lives. But rather it means to cling to your decision to follow God in the face of fear and danger. And today we will end the series with part three, social relationships. That's today's message, social relationships, all right? And... Uh, Actually, Romans 12 deals with three key relationships. In the, in the first two verses in part one, it deals with our relationship with God. And, and what does God want? He, he wants us. He wants us to want him. He has created us for relationship with him and fellowship with him. And he should be our top priority. He is God. And he made us like himself so that we can have a relationship. So those first two verses in terms of having our thinking renewed, think like our creator, think like our father. 
so that we can relate with him. That's our primary relationship. And then in verses 3 to 8, it deals with our relationship with ourselves. We should not be proud. We should not think more of ourselves than we are. We should not think less of ourselves than we are. We should recognize God's grace in our lives as he created us and gifted us. We should be at peace with who we are in Christ. And then, of course, verses 9 to 21 deals with how we relate to everybody else. This is today's study. And, and these verses contain very practical advice on how to behave socially, how to relate to people around us in the church and in the world in every sphere of society. Now, verse 9 starts with let love. Okay, there you go. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. But when you see the word love, let love, the word love gives you the indication that there are relationships because love always implies relationships. Now, I know that these days we use the word love very loosely. Oh, I love my dog, and I love cake, and I love oranges. Oh, I love this painting. I love this house. I love everything. But in, in its true essence, the word love implies relationship. I cannot truly love that with which I can't relate to. Hello? And so it is always relationships. Love implies relationship. And relationships require what? Time, energy, and sacrifice. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when those little kids come into our, into our homes, they require lots of time, lots of energy, and a lot of sacrifice, right? To bring those little ones up. But, but truth is, every relationship, if you want to grow a relationship, if you want a relationship to be meaningful, you are going to have to give these three things. You are going to have to spend time. You're going to have to put energy into it. And you are going to have to make some sacrifices for that relationship to grow. If you are married, you're doing this all the time. But because you love, you don't feel it all the time. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But look at your life. You are doing this all the time. And, and so that is required. And, and so this whole portion from 9 to 21, it, it, it deals with transformed social relationships. Doing relationship God's way and not the world's way. And some of the things he says in these verses really are, are totally against the flow, as we will see presently. Okay, we are told that love must not be faked. Let love be without hypocrisy. That with hypocrisy means don't put a mask on. Don't, don't fake your love. Don't pretend that you love when you don't. We must allow love to be genuine. So you, you might think, oh, that means that if I don't like the person, I mustn't love them. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, do the right kind of love. And he kind of tells you what it is there. He says, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. That is the basis of our love. Our love must be based on turning our backs on what is evil and embracing what is good. True love is always based on that. 
If love is not based on that, then there's something wrong with that kind of love. It's a masked kind of love. It's a love, it's a two-faced kind of love. Oh, I love you, I love you. But meantime, I'm trying to score. It's, I'm, I'm selfish. I want to get something out of you, so I'm faking this love for you. But as soon as I can, I'm going to bite you, I'm going to get my pound of flesh, and I'm out of your life. And isn't that what we see so often in the world? When people come, and you think they really appreciate you (laughs) until you realize your wallet is empty (laughs) and something has happened and they're gone. And so he says, listen, let love be real unmasked and turn your back to what is evil and embrace what is good. But now here's the thing. (sighs) This is where the renewed mind comes in. The word of God and the will of God is what we use to determine good and evil. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, where there was a tree of independent knowledge of good and evil. Remember? Read about it in Genesis. And God said, guys, that tree, you don't eat of it. Don't touch it. Why didn't God want them to eat out of the tree of good and evil? Simply because God wanted to be the one. He himself wanted to be the one to teach us and show us what is good and what is evil. But man turned his back on God's will and neither decided, man, I am going to find out what is good and what is evil. I'm going to eat out of the tree of independent knowledge, independent from God. I'm going to eat out of the tree of independent knowledge of good and evil. And I am going to determine, I am going to find out what is good and what is evil. And today mankind is still doing it. We think we are God. We think we can figure out what is good and what is evil. And that's why throughout history, good and evil is always changing. Today this is good, tomorrow it's evil. Today this is evil, tomorrow it is good. Because we can't figure out. And essentially, what is good and evil is based on me. What is good for me? What is evil for me? Huh? And if I can cut corners, maybe hurt you, but in the process I can look after big me, it's okay. If I do something wrong and I don't get caught, it's okay. Hello? And so throughout history, we find this problem with humanity. Not knowing, not having a clear-cut understanding of what is good and what is evil. And God says, hey, look at me. Let love be without hypocrisy. God is love. And so let love dictate to us what is good And what is evil? And that's why we need a renewed mind. That's why we need to know the word of God. That's why we need to spend time in prayer, in fellowship with God, in God's word, learning, growing, developing. So that our decisions and our love can be genuine, based on God's understanding, God's definition of what is good and what is evil. Let's move on to verses 10 to 13. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That brotherly love indicates to us, he's talking about what now? About our relationship to other believers, other Christians. These are the Christians that are in your circle of friends, the Christians you relate to, the Christians you work with, the Christians in in the church that you attend. And so he says, amongst ourselves, we have to be affectionate to one another. 
giving preference to one another, honoring one another. And, and Jesus said that this kind of love is actually the badge of discipleship. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love, this kind of love, for one another. Jesus said that, John 13, 34. And so our love, the way we relate to one another, should be an indication to those who are not Christians that we are Christians, that we are followers of Jesus. And from the first century, when the church emerged, that was the one thing which the people noticed. The people outside the church noticed how these Christians, how they deal with each other, how they stand together, how they love one another. And they said, but these guys, they behave very much like Jesus. And that's why they began to call the Christians Christians. We didn't give ourselves the name Christians. The unbelievers gave us the name of Christians back there in the first century. They look at this bunch of Christ followers and they said, Christians, they, they look like Christ, they behave like Christ. And today that should still be our badge. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. But that is what God is calling us to. And so the more we think about this, the more we will steer towards living a life which shows that we are disciples. And guys, come on. In, in this chapter, he's giving us practical things. And as we shall see later, love is not something that falls upon us. Love is not a feeling, an emotion. Woo, hallelujah, you know. No, love is a decision. Love is choices that we make. Huh? I know that when you're young and we, we're looking for a, a partner in life, yes, emotions do play a role in that, and it's, it's okay. There is a season for that. But even with the emotions, when you're making those choices, you've got to go beyond the emotions and make choices. Amen? Ah, okay. Badge of discipleship. discipleship. It says... Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That thing that not lagging in diligence. In other words, be enthusiastic in your service to the Lord. And sometimes people will, will kind of say, yeah, you know, yeah, I know I'm supposed to, to be involved in Christian work. I know I'm supposed to give, and I'm supposed to give some of my time. I know I'm supposed to volunteer. Oh, but I'm so busy, and I don't have time, and, and I've got this, and I've got that, and, uh, 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 and we make excuses. When you're doing that, we are not being fervent in spirit. We are lagging in our diligence. But it goes beyond that, guys. Listen, being diligent, being enthusiastic about service to God is not just what to do here in church. It's not just about our volunteer work or what to do for the Lord. Listen, it covers every area of your life. The work you do, your studies, your relating to people, when you're playing sport, when you're brine for your family, all that is included in serving God with diligence. In Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, and that whatever is a very important Greek word. Whatever means whatever. Because that's whatever, whatever means. In other words, everything, for the time you wake up in the morning, till you go to bed at night, everything you do during the day, he says, whatever you do, whether you drink or eat or work or play, whatever, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, the fact that your eyes open in the morning and you can breathe and you're alive 
Give thanks to God. You're sitting here today. You're breathing. Most of your body parts are working. Praise God, man. That's a blessing. Give thanks and live this day for the Lord. Do it enthusiastically. Understand that life is a gift. The grace of God is a gift. And if you go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he spoke about offer your body as a living sacrifice, that means we offer every part of our lives to God, not just some. I was talking to missionary Madalena that first Sunday after that verse, that study, and she was sharing with me. She had just been uh, watching some teachings by a, uh, an Old Testament professor, and he was actually talking about the, the sacrifices in the temple. And he said, you know, that, that place of sacrifice, when they, when they brought those sacrifices and they put it on that altar, he said, every single bit of that sacrifice was consumed. It was the skin, the flesh, even the bones. Everything turned to ashes. Nothing was left over. And now translating that to Romans 12, it means, guys, when we offer our lives to God, we offer everything. Not just our time or just our money or just our talent now and then or just a visit to the church now and then or just a good deed to the poor now and then. Guys, everything we are, we lay at the altar and we say, it is yours, Lord. It is yours, Lord. Eh? And so what we're talking about here is our whole lives. Do not be lagging in diligence. Serve God with everything you got. Let's go back again to that verse. Serve God with everything that you've got. Then he tells us how to do it, including being patient in tribulation. And you know, all of us go through some form of tribulation or other in our lives. It can be financial, it can be sickness, disease, relationships, difficulties. But guys, in the first century, these guys had major tribulation because their faith put them at risk of death. It was against the establishment to be a follower of Christ. When you said Jesus is Lord in the first century, what you are saying is that Caesar is not the Lord of my life. And back then, that was cause for death. Because back in that first century, Caesar was worshipped as Lord. We are so fortunate here in South Africa today. However, there are parts of the world right now, today, where our brothers and sisters, by being Christians, by gathering like this to study the word of God, by worshiping God, by calling themselves Christians, are putting their lives at risk. <laughs> and you thought you had problems, huh? Let's think beyond that. And, and so he says, be patient in tribulation. And he says, be devoted to prayer. In fact, nothing like tribulation to get you to pray more, right? You go to visit a doctor and he gives you that bad news. Oh my God. And man, you're praying. Guys, pray for me. Pray, pray, pray. But even if you don't have tribulation, pray. And if you don't have to pray for yourself, pray for your brothers and sisters. Those here and those there who are in danger of their lives. Guys, we have to be people of prayer. Some weeks back, we spoke about that over here. And by the way, if you've missed any in this series, please go to our webpage 
www.awakenlife.co.za. And here, the other parts, because it forms a complete whole. But we are called to pray, to pray incessantly. Amen? To be steadfast in that. It also includes helping our fellow believers practically as we are able. It includes being involved in one another's lives. Let's go on to verse 14 and 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I wonder, has, have you ever had anyone in your life who did not like you? One, two, three, four, five, six. The rest of you are well-loved people, I must say. Wow. I think all of us, sometime or other, we meet some dude or do this who doesn't like us, doesn't like our face, doesn't like our behavior, doesn't like something about us. And they make sure we know about it. Uh-huh. They make sure we find out they don't like us. And if they can mess up our lives, they will do it. And so what do we do? You say, okay, you ugly thing. You don't like me. You did this to, to hurt me. You just wait for it. I am coming. <laughs> oh, that's what we want to do, isn't it? And that is the way of the world. And so here we go against the flow. What are we supposed to do? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I mean, our initial reaction when we are hurt by somebody. Our no, oh, you, we want to curse them. With the best words that we can find. The word of God says, no, 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 don't you do that. Don't curse them. Uh uh-uh. That's the world's way. You are a disciple. You're a child of God. You're going to do things my way, says the Lord. You're going to bless them. What, God? But didn't you see what he did to me? How on earth can I bless him? How on earth can I bless her? Ah. Ah. You see, this is going against the flow now. We are instructed to pray for them and pray a blessing upon them. That's totally against the flow. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we don't defend ourselves or that we don't put up boundaries in our lives, but it does mean we don't hold on to bitterness and we don't curse them. We don't do bad to them. Are you listening? But rather we pray for them so they will be changed and blessed. And there's more of this later in the chapter. We're going to come back to this principle. But we need to understand this. Especially you younger folks because you live in a world now where everybody lives out in the open in social media. Back in my day, people had problems, but, you know, it was like kind of hidden. But these days, somebody gets upset. It's on Facebook. Who does she think she is? Who does he think he is? Tell me that. Look what he did. You know, and all you know, there's something going on. Guys, be careful. You mustn't react. Let's go back and take a few steps back and ponder on who we are and who are we supposed to be. And what we are supposed to do. Is it easy? No way. But can God help us? Of course he can. You see, every single thing that God tells you and I to do, the Holy Spirit is right there beside us to help us when we choose to do what God wants us to do. Okay? You choose, and it's not easy, because sometimes I want to sort this guy out. I want to show him who's boss around here. 
But when I take a step back and I decide to follow the Lord's way, the Holy Spirit is there to help me, to sustain me, to give me the strength to do what he asked me to do. We'll come back to more of this a little bit along because Paul goes back to this item. And then he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Listen, we saw early in that chapter that we are a body. We are members of the body. The church is a body. It's one of the pictures that the Bible uses of the church. And I don't know about you, but in my body, when one part of me hurts, my whole body hurts. If I'm walking and I kick my knee against the table, my whole body goes, ah! On the other hand, if a part of my body rejoices, my whole body rejoices. If I'm having a great meal, the minute it goes in here, my whole body rejoices. Ooh, this is so nice. (laughs) Right? We are like that. And, And he says the same thing about each other. Man, a part of the body is hurting. Man, we should all gather around and, 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 and weep with the person, support. Another person is rejoicing. Man, let's all get together and rejoice. And it takes spiritual maturity. When I enter the room and I've got a, a burden, I'm hurting, I'm weeping, and I come across someone who's rejoicing, it takes maturity to put my weeping aside and rejoice with my brother and my sister. Or maybe I walk in the room and I'm so joyful and I find, yes, somebody who's hurting. Put my joy aside and weep with my brother or my sister. But make no mistake, God will make sure that somebody else will weep with you and rejoice with you because you are a body and you'll stand together. Amen? Be of the same mind. Be of one accord. Hallelujah. And in verse 16, the recommendation is that Christians live in harmony with each other. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. We are called to live in harmony with one another. That is our calling. The most dangerous enemy to love and to harmony, social harmony is what? Is pride. And here it is defined as a tendency not to associate with people we consider below us. Pride is also described as the tendency to think highly of ourselves. And so the instruction is to be willing to associate with people of low position or those considered outcasts or those who are not in our clique at work, at school, in our families. And I think those of you who are last week, you watched the the skit that you did. They illustrated beautifully with that little guy that was the outcast and then eventually reaching out to him. And guys, that is such a reality in our world. Be it at work, be it at school, be it in society, uh, people make these clicks, you know. These are the people that are in, the rest are out, and I, you know, I put my nose up, and I don't want to associate with them. I, I, I live in this, in this particular social status. I'm not going to mix with those people. They're so poor and so, ugh, you know, ace. Be careful of that. The Bible is very clear. We are not to differentiate. You are a child of God. You are created by God. No matter what society status you have, no matter what level of education you've got, no matter where you live, we are to respect one another. We are to treat one another kindly 
gently. We are to include one another in our relationships. Be very careful. Amen? I don't know, often in, in school, in college, you know, we have these, these little cliques and so forth. Let's be careful of that. I was aware of it in my young days, and today it still continues, I believe. And we have to be very careful that we don't hurt people or cut people off because they're not in your little group. Watch out. And as Christians, as young people, Christians in schools and in colleges, look out for those people. Try and befriend them. Try and reach out to them. At your place of work. There's always that, that guy or girl who is the weird one. Always that, you know, because he doesn't talk like us, he doesn't dress like us, he hasn't got the... Be, be aware of that. Don't cut those people out. Reach out to them. Let's be aware of the social, the peripheral people in society and reach out. Amen? Amen? And I've seen stories of Christians. They are... When they start their life, they are poor, they are down and out, they've got nothing, they come, oh, pastor, pray for me, help me, blah, blah, blah. So we pray, we believe, and they start going up in the social ladder. They get a job, they get a better job, they get a business, da, 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 and all of a sudden, they got, a, they got nice clothes, and they've got nice house, they've got nice clothes, and all of a sudden, they come to church with their noses in the air, because look at me now. And then they look at those people that were like them a couple of years ago and they don't want to associate with them because look at me now. Guys, that's a sin. God's going to get you, man. And if you're not careful, he's going to humble you. Oh, but God is good. He won't. Because God is good, he's going to do that. So guys, let's just take the word of God and just obey the word of God. It's the, it's the best thing to do. Let's just do God's word. Amen? Ay, 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 ay. Okay, verse 17 and 19. Here we go again with those who do evil. Repay no one evil for evil. And everybody said, oh, I was so looking forward to that. <laughs> I was really planning some schemes. I wanted to make him hurt. I wanted her to feel it. And the Bible comes and says, repay no one evil for evil. <clears throat> Talk about going against the flow. Now, this is mainly dealing with relationships with unbelievers, but sometimes it may be with believers as well. The natural reaction would be that if you hurt me, I will hurt you back. Preferably, I'll hurt you more than you hurt me. Mm. Give me great pleasure to see you hurt you more than you hurt me. However, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Ah. He says, do the right thing. And the right thing is not for me going down and becoming as low as the person who hurt me. See, because when I do evil, the person does evil. If I go and do evil too, what have I done? I've become just like that person. And again, do what is good. Do what is right. Follow what the Lord says. And when you make your choices and people are watching you, and he says, do the right thing. In verse 18, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he says, actually, if it is possible, as much as depend on you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible. There's a clear indication here, guys. 
that there might be some people that you cannot live at peace with. No matter how hard you try, they just refuse to live at peace with you. And that's okay. Just don't you be the one breaking the peace. Don't you be the one causing there to be no peace. You do what you can to live in peace. But if they refuse, it's on their head. All right? But we are called to live at peace as much as it depends on us to be at peace with everybody else. And then you are called to avoid vengeance because vengeance belongs to God. And, uh, and listen, <laughs> I, I don't want to be in anybody's shoes who has to deal with the wrath of God. You see, God calls us. He loves us. He calls us to repentance. Yes, prepare the way. Jesus has come and, and paid the price for all of our sins. He has opened the way for us to live in relationship with the Father. But when people continue to resist the love of God and turn their backs on God and turn their backs to the love of God, eventually they're going to have to sit and stand and reap the consequences of their choices. And, and that's all that God's vengeance really is, is allowing people to receive the consequences of their choices. And it's not nice. It's not pleasant. And that's why it says, don't you do it. It's not your turn or in your power to take vengeance. Leave it to God. But not only that, he goes even further. Check this out. The next verse. Go to the next verse, please. 20. This is crazy. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Guys, the word of God instructs us not only that we should not take revenge on our enemies, but if it comes to a point where you see your enemy is hungry, is thirsty, is in need, and you are in a position to supply that need, he says, you do it for your enemy. Say what? But, but, but don't you know what he did to me? Don't you remember how he made me suffer? How he hurt me? You want me to go and take my food and get my water? Oh, come on. It's God. There's always a reason. And God says, do that. Do that. Why? For in so doing, you will heap Coals of fire on his head. This little phrase, coals of fire on his head. It's an ancient saying. In fact, in this portion here, uh, Paul is directly quoting from the book of Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Paul is quoting directly from the book of wisdom, written hundreds of years ago, before Paul. And, and there's a reason for that, because that is God's instruction. And that little phrase, heap coals of fire on his head, is an ancient phrase which meant the following. When you, when you do good to people, you are hoping that the, the, the good you do to them will be like, like that heat, those skulls on his head that will cause him to think, to ponder, to become ashamed of what he did to you and turn his back on his evil. In other words, it's something you do in the hopes of repentance, that your enemy will repent. And stop his nonsense or her nonsense. And turn back to God. And listen, isn't that what we all want as Christians? You see, as Christians we know that life is not only the few years we spend on this planet. Life is eternal. And we all know that 
the worst thing that can happen is that somebody could spend eternity away from God's presence. We all want to be with God, and we want everybody to be with God. Even my worst enemy, I don't want him to spend eternity in hell. I want him to repent. And so, although I don't agree with him, although I want to clap him nice and hard, I'm going to leave him in the hands of God. And I'm going to do whatever I can, and I'm going to pray for his salvation. I'm going to pray that God will bless him and, 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 and give him a moment and help him to come back to God. And so this whole, this whole attitude of, of, of feeding them and, and praying for them is in the hope that they will turn, that our acts of kindness will make our enemies ashamed and perhaps turn their backs on their evil deeds. Now listen, each person's experience is different when it comes to dealing with your enemies. Amen? With those who hurt you, with those who offend you, no matter who they are, we all have different experiences, different levels of pain, of hurt, and so on and so on. Now, nowhere in the Bible we are instructed to tolerate abuse. Listen carefully. The fact that God says pray for them and don't revenge does not mean that you must tolerate abuse. Okay? It is proper to set boundaries and if necessary, even to take legal action. That's why the authorities are there. That's why God has placed authorities and they are there for a reason. So nowhere are you instructed just to tolerate and just be you know, abused. Not at all. But what he's talking about here is an attitude of heart. Do not in our hearts, we are not to carry anger, bitterness, and vengeance. Because that is going to kill you. That's going to hold you prisoner. Huh? We are to pray for our enemies with love. With love? Yeah. Agape love. Agape love is the love which wants the best for the other person. And so no matter what, have, what they've done, we must want the best for them. In other words, we must want them to repent. We must want them to go back to God. We must want them to have their lives changed. Because if that happens... They won't stop their evil. They won't hurt anybody else. They won't hurt themselves any longer. Make sense? Yeah, I know it's tough, guys. It goes against the flow. Because every bit of our flesh wants to retaliate. If there is an opportunity for you to act or to do an act of kindness towards your enemy, then do it. It might just cause them to repent. And then our closing verse, it echoes the beginning of this section. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember the beginning of verse nine, love must be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He's coming back again to this whole basis of evil and good. And look what it says. Do not be overcome by evil. Listen, if we are not careful, the systems of this world, the ideas of the world, the pressures, your friends, your colleague, your teammates, your school friends, friends at work, society, neighbors, whatever it is, if you're not careful, the pressures of this world can cause you to behave in a way which is against the will of God. To be accepted by your peers, you could be induced into embracing evil. Do not be overcome by evil. 
Check out your language. Check out the kind of jokes you're enjoying. Check out the stuff that you're consuming. Check out the substances maybe you're abusing. Do not be overcome by evil. Oh, but it is socially acceptable. And pastor, everybody's doing it. Yeah, right. Because everybody went to eat from the tree of independent knowledge of good and evil. And they've got no clue what is good and evil. There's no moral compass in this world. Everybody does what they want. The Bible is clear. Do not be overcome by evil. Listen to the mind of God, to the heart of God, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And overcome evil with good. Overcome evil by choosing to do what is good in the sight of God. I want to quote you from the Africa Bible Commentary. We are living in a world dominated by evil. Thus the apostle concludes the chapter by appealing to Christians to remain alert and not to be overcome by evil. But to overcome evil by doing good or by genuinely loving others. Such a demonstration of a different type of life, a Christian life, which goes against the flow, is badly needed in all corners of our continent, and I'd say the world, as is shown by constant conflicts, both in churches and in the community at large. If these principles were followed, Africa and the world will be transformed into a community where peace and justice will prevail. Because see, love, love is a fulfillment of all the law. When you live by love, by the laws of God, all the law is fulfilled. Go to our last slide. Biblical love is not an emotion, but an action that we choose. Everything we've studied today, you go back at home, read again, verse 9 to 21. Every single thing in this chapter are choices that we are invited to make. All of us, we can do it. Yes, some choices will be more difficult than others, but we can all make those choices. True love is something we must learn to practice. We can practice this. We can learn. We can change our choices. We can change our, change our actions. Christians ought to be genuine in their love to those around them. And this involves loving unconditionally, showing mercy, and being willing to forgive. Listen, only a surrendered life in body and soul can do this in the strength of the Holy Spirit. We are called to what? To go against the flow. Folks, millions of Christians before us have done this and they have changed their world. They might not make a difference worldwide, but their world, their where they stay, their lives, their families, they've changed that. They've given their, their lives a whole different direction. Question is, are we willing to go against the flow today and to change our world? Are you willing to do that? To go against the flow and to change your world? I want you to think about it right now as we close the service. Because so far this year, we have all had opportunities to make choices. And some of those choices we may be grateful for and proud of. Some of those choices we might be going, oh my goodness, I wish I hadn't done that. 
And especially in the light as you learn more and more about God's word, you realize that maybe some of your actions and some of your choices were selfish, were based on self-preservation, not doing the will of God. And so today God is calling us just to re-evaluate our choices, re-evaluate our lives, and choose to lay everything on the altar, to choose God's love, to live by that law, turning our backs on evil, clinging to what is good, good and evil according to God's definition. And so live a life that although you go against the flow, you know that it is making your world, your life, your footprint on this earth a better place to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up as we close in prayer. I want you just to take a moment in silent prayer right now, just between you and the Lord. And if you feel that in anything that you've heard yet today, you feel convicted, you feel you've got to make some adjustments, you feel you need to change your thinking, change your attitude in any way, concerning these social relationships. Take a moment right now to pray to God and say, Father God, help me. I I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. Change the way I think, change the way I behave, Lord. Help me to reflect more the love of Jesus. Whatever I am and whatever I do. Just take a moment to talk to God right now. Thank you, Father. Just quietly between you and the Lord. So, Father God, you hear the prayers of your people this morning. You know the hearts. And Holy Spirit, I know that as the word has been preached, Holy Spirit, you've been talking to people here this morning. You've been opening their understanding, helping them to understand and to see more of you, more of your word. Not only the people over here, Lord, but those listening to this recording as well. Thank you, Father, for your conviction, for your guidance, my God. Teach us to let go. Let go of bitterness. Let go of revenge. Let go of pride. Let go of thinking too much of ourselves. Let go of thinking too little of ourselves. Help us to embrace true love that wants the best for the others, where they are our brothers and sisters, where they are our friends, or even if they are our enemies, Lord God. Help us let go of revenge and of trying to hit back. Rather, help us to bless, to pray for them, Lord, to release them so that you will take care of them, Lord, because your justice, your love, you are righteous. And help us this morning, my God, to embrace Romans 12, not just as a nice chapter to read now and then, 
but to embrace Romans 12 as a way of life. Yes, a way of life that will often go against the flow of the ways of this world. But help us to embrace this lifestyle anyway, Lord, and be patient in tribulation. Stand firm in the face of opposition. Cling to you, Lord God, when people ridicule us because of our choices to follow Christ. Thank you that in prayer we can remain engaged with you, hearing your voice, doing your will, my God, changing our world and as much as possible the world around us for your glory. Thank you for this time together, Father. I pray your blessing upon every person listening to the sound of my voice right now, hearing this wall and in this recording, my God. I pray your blessing upon every home represented here, my Lord. Let your will be done, Father. Bring peace and reconciliation, my God. Bring guidance and direction. Bring your provision, my Lord. Help us to as much as possible live in harmony, Lord God, with those around us. Seeing transformed social relationships in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week. Amen.